is right. Um, in fact, you, I couldn't be calling my talk now the science of lockdowns and mandates because that would be a presentation with no slides. I'm uh, Nick Hudson. I'm the chairman of an organization called Panda, Pandemic State Analytics, now global, but originally set up in South Africa in the very early days of the COVID-19 lockdowns to push back against the absence of science and reason in the invocation of these extreme mandates, unprecedented mandates. Um, have I got the advancing button, David? You do have the, the advancing button, but it didn't advance. Okay. Um, let's try again. Is somebody else controlling the slides? I think they're controlled over there. There we go. So the narrative that we were asked to accept in relation to COVID was uh, a simple and let's say deadly one. A deadly novel virus was sweeping the planet. Nobody was immune and there was no cure. Asymptomatic people were major drivers of disease spread. And so we had to lock down and wear our masks until everyone was vaccinated. Note that there were three mandates in that sentence. Lockdowns, masks, vaccines. And anyone who challenged that narrative was a danger, a menace to society. Next slide. But this was an unjustified fear in the face of reality. The reality was, next slide please, that a virus that represented high risk to very few and negligible risk to most had hit some regions of the world. Few people were susceptible to severe disease and there were several available treatments. Asymptomatic people were not drivers of disease spread. Lockdowns and mask mandates that had never been recommended before were tried, but very early on it was clear that they didn't work and that they caused great harm. So what ended up happening was that the vulnerable people were hurt instead of being helped. Next slide. The biggest lie perhaps of the people were hurt instead of being helped. Next slide. The biggest lie perhaps of the entire story was this one. Tedros, head of the Global World Health Organization, in a very sneaky move, conflated what is known as a case fatality rate with an infection fatality rate. Case fatality rate being the rate at which people who are already sick and presenting at hospitals die from a disease. An infection fatality rate being the rate at which people who are infected, many of whom who will have no Ill, Ill effects from that infection, die, and they're two completely different things. So when he said that COVID had a fatality rate of 3.4%, that was a case fatality rate, and he compared it to the fatality rate for the flu, which was an infection fatality rate, much less than 1%. Next slide, please. What actually emerged as the reality early on, and I want to just point something out about this presentation. In order to make the point that we knew this in time to prevent any of this from happening, these slides only contain information available in the first year of the COVID phenomenon. I have put not an ounce of novel information at these slides except for the last one. John Yarnidis did a, a seroprevalence study where we can detect infection fatality rates, average them across the world, and in the first one that he conducted, he found that the infection fatality rate was not 3.4%, but 0.23%. In subsequent updates to that material, the rate has fallen to 0.1%. And I would just point out that that rate includes in its numerator 
a, a tendency to massively over-attribute COVID deaths all around the world. The real infection fatality rate in this disease is less than 0.1%. And when we consider, next slide, please, the fact that mortality is, next slide, please, the fact that mortality is massively age-graduated uh, with the risk for young people being one thousandth the risk for old people. When we consider that fact, it is completely correct to say that COVID never ever presented anything but a de minimis risk to even vaguely people, vaguely healthy people under the age of 70 years old. And when I say vaguely healthy, I mean not in hospital owing to a severe comorbidity. That's not a high hurdle. For all of those people, which is the vast majority of the world's population, COVID presented de minimis risk. Next slide, please. Another little lie straight, up, straight out of the blocks. The novel virus. There is only one useful sense of the word novel, and that is in terms of universal susceptibility or immune naivety. When it comes to viruses, every single copy of a virus virtually is something novel in the sense that it contains errors of transcription or some element of novelty. Almost every single copy would be like that. So if you set a low threshold, novelty is a meaningless term. It's only meaningful in terms of susceptibility. And Tedros told this lie that the name, it, it mattered to have a name that presented, prevented the use of stigmatization, COVID-19. Next slide, please told this lie that the name it, it mattered to have a name that presented prevented the use of stigmatization COVID-19 next slide please the reason this was a terrible lie next slide please sorry there we go um, <clears throat> is this virus was identified very early on by the International Committee for the Taxonomy of Viruses as being an individuum of SARS-1 an individuum means something that doesn't qualify for recognition even as a different subspecies. An individuum is like me and David. We're individua of Homo sapiens sapiens. So the ICTV was proposing the name SARS-2, which would have made novelty a joke. But in, and they pointed this out in a paper that has since been memory hold, deleted even from way back machines. There, this was a scam. The idea of novelty. Next slide, please. And it was acknowledged very early on as well by the World Health Organization's Maria von Kirchhofer that the majority of the world's population was susceptible to infection from this virus, even though that this was not actually the case. Multiple studies emerged in 2020 demonstrating that upwards of 80% of the human population had pre-existing immunity to SARS-CoV-2. Next slide, please. And we saw this very clearly in the geographic distribution of the early spread of this virus. Even though SARS-CoV-2 was detected globally, we only had pronounced mortality in certain regions of the world. The vast majority of the human population did not, in that year, develop anything significant in terms of mortality. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. And the myth of asymptomatic transmission is another crucial one to appraise. We had it very early on that this was complete garbage. Uh, the papers that set up this myth were derisory. The one was based on a single Chinese woman who apparently infected 
her colleagues while asymptomatic, but it lately emerged, later emerged that she had been treated by her doctor for influenza-like syndromes. Next slide, please. And the World Health Organization, again, Maria von Koven came out saying asymptomatic spread was very rare, but then she was forced to walk back that statement. Next slide, please. Fauci knew this as well in advance. Next slide, please. And early papers in 2020, this one from December, found that symptomatic index cases represented the vast majority of the explanations for anybody contracting uh, COVID in a household context. Next slide, please. The biggest lie of them all, maybe, second biggest, was that lockdown saved lives. This uh, man, Bruce Elwood, emerged from China, having done no signs of any shape or form, saying that the whole world needed to imitate China. Next slide. Or form, saying that the whole world needed to imitate China. Next slide. And what we also knew before that was that every single extant guideline of pandemic response theory um, had ruled out the possibility or the, as a recommendation lockdowns or isolation even of the sick. So next slide, please. Um, and multiple studies emerged very early on that showing that there was no benefit evident in the data to, to not just the implementation of lockdowns, but the implementation of NPIs in general. Next slide, please. This finding was not unexpected from John Ioannidis again, that in fact some, there was evidence that lockdowns were pro-contagion. Why do I say this is not unexpected? Well, remember that I mentioned that this was a profound, we, we had profoundly age-graduated mortality, older people being much more susceptible than younger people. What you need to do from uh, uh, a transmission perspective to minimize mortality under those conditions is to maximize the differential mobility of the elderly and the young. And that is a well-known result from epidemiological modeling. Now just process that. You need young people to be as mobile as possible in relation relative to old people. That's the opposite of a lockdown. What you ideally want is actually a coronavirus party for everybody under the age of about 80. A cruise ship for the rest of us while the old people stay out of the way. That would have been the mortality minimizing strategy suggested by basic epidemiology. That result is expected. Next slide, please. And we saw it in the evidence very early on. This was Panda's slide. The work was done in May of 2020. That's a splatter plot. That's the relationship on the x-axis between the stringency of lockdowns and the actual COVID mortality that was experienced, each of those dots representing a country somewhere in the world. And when you get a paint splat like that, what it means is there's no relationship between lockdowns and COVID mortality. If there was, next slide please, we would have seen a pattern like this, a line showing that as the stringency of lockdowns increased, the mortality from COVID decreased. But we saw nothing of the sort, nothing at all. Next slide, please. 
comparing side by side two countries, the UK and Sweden, the one with the famously stringent lockdown and the one that famously did not lock down, you see no difference whatsoever in the evolution, evolution of their pandemic curves. Next slide, please. And we're, in the same way that lockdowns uh, didn't save lives, we saw the same thing with masks, North Dakota and South Dakota, with a mask mandate, without a mask mandate. Their pandemic curves almost identical. You can barely tell them apart. Next slide, please. And here's how ridiculous it got. In the same way that lockdowns uh, didn't save lives, we saw the same thing with masks, North Dakota and South Dakota, with a mask mandate, without a mask mandate. Their pandemic curves almost identical. You can barely tell them apart. Next slide, please. And here's how ridiculous it got. When the modelers started advising everybody to lock down and Sweden refused to lock down, this is what they projected for Sweden. They projected that Sweden in 2020 would experience a burden of mortality twice its normal level. In the end, this is what they got next. Something that was bang in line with the average mortality of that they had experienced over the previous 10 years. <laughs> you, can, you cannot believe how far out those initial models that put us into lockdown were. And of course, lockdowns are harmful. I would just like to scroll through these slides one by one until we get past them. UNICEF predict that there would be 1.2 million child deaths as a result of lockdowns. Keep going, keep going. Um, 150 million people pushed into extreme po poverty. 130 million people threatened by starvation. Over 40 million new jobless claims worldwide. And so on. Keep going, keep going. So what we've done was lockdown, shifting the burden of disease from the young to the very people who were vulnerable, the elderly. And that resulted in the killing of more vulnerable people than would otherwise have taken place. These things had a profoundly negative impact at multiple levels, and it was predicted and predictable. Next slide. It's worth to, worthwhile remembering how quickly the opinion shifted in these matters. Look at what the World Health Organization said on the 1st of March compared to what it said on the 5th of June. And there was no high-quality emergent scientific evidence between these two dates. In fact, there never has been. The best quality evidence probably is the Cochrane study, finding that there was absolutely no reason to expect that masks worked. That's a fairly recent paper, hence not a slide in the presentation. Next one, please. I'm going to just keep going in the interest of time. Please go forward and go forward and go forward. Tom Jefferson, a uh, uh, well-known epidemiologist, had this to say uh, about, it, about uh, his sense of the situation. Um, sometimes you get the impression that the whole industry is waiting for a pandemic to happen. The interesting thing is that he said this at the time of another hoax pandemic in 2009, the H1N1 hoax. I think he was right then and even more right if he had repeated those statements today. And of course, we can see quite transparently that this was all done in the name of launching a vaccine uh, story. 7.8 people suddenly needed to get vaccinated and nobody would be safe unless everyone was safe. And the complete lie of all of that again. 
it was known in advance even of the mRNA vaccine's advent, advent that a nasal spray vaccine had no chance of preventing transmission and infection because it sets up only systemic immunity. Is that my fine? Good. So there again, and, and this is a fact belatedly recognized by Anthony Fauci. He came out saying, look, we made a bit of a mistake. This is a couple of months ago. We should have made a nasal spray vaccine, right? Next slide. And so there we had it, a collection of lie after lie after lie. And, and so there we had it, a collection of lie after lie after lie. And the frightening thing about this, as a way of concluding, is this wasn't even a conspiracy. It wasn't even a conspiracy. It was straight, outright collusion. Why do I say this? All this information was in the public domain. Everything that David presented was in the public domain. Some of it isn't today. It's been memory old and removed from the Wayback Machines even. Who's doing that? I don't know. The only reason this term conspiracy theorist is around is because when they call me a collusion theorist, it doesn't sound nearly as insulting. <laughs> That's the only reason. It's straight outright collusion, and we all should be seeing it, and we all should be recognizing that COVID was in no way, shape, or form a medical phenomenon. This was a political phenomenon. And the politicians around the world... Politicians around the world, I believe, are starting to wake up to this. And the earliest and the bravest amongst them are here today and are the reason we are here today. And I would like to finish by congratulating them and thanking them.